0: Good morning, church family. It is a good morning, and it's good to see you all. Would you guys rise as we worship? Freedom, break through the heart of hell. I'm going free. I'm going. Free.
1: Please be seated.
2: Good morning and welcome to Westgate Chapel. We're so glad you chose to worship with us today. My name is Julie and I'm on the worship team here at Westgate. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're new, welcome. We would love to get to know you. At the end of the service, head out to the main entrance and to our guest center where there's a host who would love to meet you and answer any questions you have. We also have a small gift for you just to say thanks for being here. We also have our Connect card available in the back of the pew, so go ahead and take a moment to fill that out. The Connect card is a great way to let us know you joined us, and it's a great way to share any prayer requests you might have. We love the opportunity to pray for our church family each week, and we consider it a privilege to journey with you in the ways you're seeking the Lord in prayer. You can drop your card in the offering bucket when it's passed later in the service. The Connect card is also available on our Westgate app. Hopefully you had a chance to grab your sermon notes on the way in. Those are always available on the entrance tables from one of our ushers, or you can find them on the Westgate app. We always have a lot of great ways to get connected at Westgate. Here are a few things you don't want to miss. Come on out to the ballpark Friday, July 21st, and watch mud hens take on the Lehigh Iron Pigs. We've reserved a large section for our church family and friends to hang out and enjoy the game together. But this is the last week to purchase tickets. They're just $14 and are available by scanning the QR code on any of the promotional material or by visiting westgatechapel.org slash events. You won't wanna miss your chance to be part of this night out with Westgate. See you there. Wow, can you believe it? The year has flown by in a flash. The Carey family who are international workers with the Christian and Missionary Alliance have finished their year long home assignment in the US. They're getting ready to head back to Germany for another four year term and we couldn't be more excited for them. But before they go, we wanna show them how much we love and appreciate them. That's why we're having a special hangout and connect with the carries on July 9th in the atrium between services. This is the perfect opportunity to say goodbye, take a photo with them, and write them a note of encouragement that they can carry with them on their journey. We'll be providing light snacks and drinks as well. But that's not all during services on July 9th. We'll also get to hear all about the Carey's incredible time in the US and pray over them as we commission them for their next four year term in Germany. Let's make this a big party that they won't forget. Hang out and connect with the Carey's on July 9th. Speaking of parties, if you are new to Westgate, you're invited to the new people party today after the second service in the refinery. We'll enjoy some pizza together and you can meet some of our staff, connect with other new people and learn a little about Westgate. The party lasts about an hour and kids are welcome too. So we hope to see you there. This morning is going to be an awesome time of worship together. So let's get the morning kicked off, stand up and meet someone new.
3: Came okay. out <laughs> I couldn't find her help. Oh, upstairs.
1: well, maybe not then. Okay. She didn't say that she wasn't. bit of a hello to a new person that you haven't met before. I want to introduce you to some people that you may or may not have met before. We have 24 people who are becoming new members today. Not all of them could be here today so you'll see some of their pictures up on the screen as well and some people behind me but these people have um, gone through our membership process And we're going to pray for them at the end of this time. So if you are staff or elders and want to come up and join us and pray in the back, come on up at this time and you can stand behind them there. But they've gone through our membership process, which starts with going through our Westgate 101 class, where we've gone through the Christian Missionary Alliance, which is our denomination that we're part of. We've gone through our Westgate Chapel history And we've talked about our statement of faith line by line through what we believe as a church and as a denomination. And then we talked about why Westgate has membership. What is church membership? So, in case if you have those same questions, church membership here at Westgate is a formal relationship between a Christ follower and the church body, where the church is saying to the member, We recognize you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we are committed to discipling you and sharing life with you as a member of this local church family. And then the member is saying to the church, I recognize you as a faithful gospel declaring church. And now I'm committing to growing as a disciple and partnering with you as a member of your church family. So church membership is all about the church taking specific responsibility for the members and the members taking specific responsibility for the church as well. Why do we have it at Westgate? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, that's how we're structured. So every year we have annual elections where people who are official members of Westgate Chapel get to vote. Because we want to make sure that if people are voting on Westgate Chapel things, that they're invested here, right? Also, people who want to be in leadership roles here at Westgate need to be official church members. Because we need to make sure that we're on the same page theologically, and we're going to be able to lead together well. So there's a couple important reasons why we have membership here at Westgate. And if you would like to learn more about Westgate or church membership, we're going to have another opportunity this fall for Westgate 101, so you can keep your eye out for that. So, you get to meet some of these people today if you haven't already. And it's been so exciting to get to know them and learn about where they're already serving and also how they plan to serve and get involved. We've got some people who are middle school leader rock stars, we've got some people serving in children's ministry, adult ministry, greeting. They've got all kinds of different ways that they are contributing here. To our body of Christ and we are so thankful for them and excited for how they're going to be joining us in a greater capacity. So I'm going to pass the microphone down and they're going to tell you their names and how long they've been here at Westgate.
0: My name is Chad Kidd and this is my lovely wife Kate Kidd and we've been attending Westgate for three years.
4: My name is Britton Oberst. My wife has been a member um, before we had met. even though Westgate has always made me feel like a member, it's something that you can't marry into. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad that it's uh, my, my choice.
2: I'm Bridget, and my husband's Jim Beach, and we've been here since September. I'm Libby Braymeyer, and I've been here for about two years. Hi, I'm Nan Smith, and I've been attending about a year. My name's Barb Borlowski. I've been here about five months. I'm
1: Sharon Borowitz, and I've been here
0: 11 years. I'm Josh Henry, I've been here about 10 years.
1: I'm Ella and I've been here 19 years.
4: I'm Maddie Tomaszewski, I've been here 12 years.
1: I'm Mike Cromley, my wife Linda and I, we've been here for a year and a half.
2: My name is Olivia Sovernell and I've been here 24 years.
1: My name's Abigail Hensel, and this is my husband. reed hensel
0: and we've been in attendance about a year
4: that's awesome good well uh would you guys give them a round of applause for sure super exciting, uh, just to see, uh, all of you and the time, not only that you've spent investing in this class to learn more about our church, but most encouraging to me to see how you've already in so many different ways invested in the life of our church and the way that you're getting involved. And, uh, I am very, very excited for, uh, just, uh, what God is doing in this church, but specifically with you as you join us in membership. And so, uh, I am thankful for each of you. And this morning we've got just a a membership covenant, uh, that, uh, I'll read to you and uh, if you're in agreement with it, I just invite you to say I will uh, at the end. So because you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and because of your expressed desire to be members of Westgate Chapel, will you promise to commit yourself to serve Christ faithfully as a member of this church family Will you commit yourself to Westgate's vision of being a Jesus-centered community that is known for intentionally sharing God's love with our neighbors and the nations? Will you personally seek to grow in your relationship with the Lord by daily studying God's word, by seeking Him in prayer, striving to abstain from sinful desires, and by depending upon the Holy Spirit for all that you need? Will you commit to actively engage with other members of our church family through regular church attendance and also by pursuing close-knit biblical community where you can grow with Christ alongside others? Will you commit to generously stewarding your God-given time, talent, and resources and spiritual giftedness for the purpose of honoring and serving the Lord in our church, in our local community, and in his worldwide mission to reach the lost? Will you take personal responsibility for the spiritual health and also the unity of our church family? And will you submit yourself to the elders of this church whom God has given authority as overseers and shepherds? If you will commit yourselves to these things, please respond by saying, I will. will. Awesome. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much for this morning and each of these individuals who have expressed their desire Uh, to identify with this local body of Christ. Lord, I thank you so much for each of their giftedness, uh, for the way that you have been developing their own faith, the way that so many of them are already involved serving here in the ministries of this church, but also serving in our community. Uh, Lord, I give you so much thanks, and we pray that you, over the next week's Uh, months and years to come would continue to take them here within this body to an even deeper place of intimacy in their relationship with you in connection with other believers within this church and that father you would continue to show them how you desire for them to use their giftedness to partner with you in reaching the world uh, for your son Jesus Christ And so, Father, we pray your special blessing over each and every one of them this morning, and we thank you for what you're doing in their lives and in the life of our church. We give all praise and all glory and honor to your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right. Would you congratulate them again this morning as they become members? And uh, you guys are free to come on down. And uh, as they're coming down, I'm going to invite everyone to just stand with me as we uh, prepare uh, to uh, go back into our time of musical worship, and as we do, let's uh, let's pray together one more time. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your church. Thank you, Lord, for giving us this community where we can belong. Where we can be challenged to grow deeper in our walk with you, to surrender more of our hearts to you. Thank you, Lord, that the church is not a building, it's your people, and that as we gather together, we gather together to worship you, to give our hearts to you because of who you are and because of what you have done in each of our lives. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we enter back into this time of musical worship, that, God, you would just captivate us, that we would be in awe of who you are and what you've done. And, Father, as we sing these words, that they would be a fragrant offering before your throne because your people love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: God can do. With just one word, you calm the storm that surrounds me. With just one word, the darkness has to retreat. Let faith arise, let all agree. Come on, what? There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise, let all agree. There's no power like the power of Jesus. I will believe. power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like his power. There's nothing that i got.
2: The Old Testament. I'm doing a chronological plan, which I've never done before, and reading through um, Kings right now. And it feels a little like a roller coaster going through the Old Testament and following the Israelites and how often, um, you know, they're following, they're focused on God, they're honoring Him, they're worshiping Him, and then they get distracted, and then they the the things of the world around them seep in, and then there are idols built and high places, and um, it feels like. It's so, it's so frustrating as you're reading because you feel like you're like rooting for your favorite sports team. Like you're following them and you're like, oh, they're doing really great. Oh, you know, fumble. Like they just, it's, it's hard to follow. And um, you almost feel disappointed sometimes. I do when I'm reading it until I recognize that that's me. That's me. I, there are seasons of my life where um, I'm focused on him Holy as much as I possibly can be every day, putting Him first, and then um, something distraught happens and my um, foundation is shaken, or something amazing happens and all of a sudden this wonderful thing has now taken the throne in my heart. Um, my identity starts to be rooted not in the things of Christ and. Um, those idols are so easy to work their way onto the throne that he rightfully deserves, that belongs to him. He is due all glory and honor and praise because everything comes from him. And it's so easy for me to unthrone him. And um, we're going to continue in our worship and we're going to share a new song this morning that does such a beautiful job of painting a picture of the glory of the Lord filling this place. We are the temple, like Rob said, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. And so as we um, head into this song, I wanna read some scripture um, over you. And as I do, I would just pray that you would ask the Lord to bring to mind anything that is sitting in his place his rightful place in your heart and mind that those things would be cast down and that he would take his rightful place on the throne of your heart and mind holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come worthy are you Our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things are held together I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. us and our ability to feel how wide and and deep is your holiness and your love and every facet of your character. There's so much of you that we get access to you. And I pray that you would just give us the fullness of who you are, help us to keep you rightly enthroned in our lives. So that you get all the glory and all the praise, Lord. Nothing that would steal even an ounce of your glory, Father. We want you to get it all. Thank you, Jesus. And you're
3: gonna be
2: As you sit down, those of you on the center aisle, we'd like to continue
4: Mm, that song I'm telling you, love, love worshiping the Lord. Would you thank our worship team for leading us uh, this morning?) Uh, what a great holy moment of worship this morning. I uh, want to welcome you to our service and uh, thank you again for worshiping with us today. Uh, I'm going to encourage you, if you would, uh, pull out your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Mark, uh, continuing uh, in our second half of the series that we are in. We'll be in Mark chapter 9 this morning. And uh, also, when you walked in, if you got your sermon notes, uh, you can pull those out to follow along. Or you can pull them up on your uh, app on your phone and follow along there as well uh, this morning and as you're uh, pulling those things out or up or whatever you're doing, i uh, got three things that I wanted to uh, just pass your way before we dive into God's word together this morning. Uh, the first thing is, again, as you heard in our video this morning, the announcement video, uh, this is going to be the last week to purchase tickets to go uh, to the Mud Hens game with us as a church. Uh, those tickets are going to be released next Saturday to the general public, and so we would love to sell as many of them, many of them as we can to you. Uh, we we are not on the hook for any of them, but we would just love to have a large contingent of our family, uh, enjoying that time together as well. I'd encourage you to take time to think about who the people are in your circles that God is having you reach out to invite them to come as well and spend some great time, uh, with your church family. And so, uh, want to encourage you to sign up. Uh, as you saw this morning, you can scan the QR code that had been on the screen. You can go to westgatechapel.org slash events, or even more if you're like, I just hate technology. I don't want to do that. Uh, we have some people that can help you this morning. So over by the W cafe, we have a table set up with two iPads and they're there. If you would like to buy tickets, if you'd like to choose your seats, they can help you walk through that process this morning. So be sure to stop by if you would like to participate and be with us. Uh, It's going to be a fantastic evening together later uh, in July. Uh, Second thing just want to acknowledge this morning is that our Costa Rica mission team and also middle school serve teams are back from uh, their mission trips back safe, and sound, praise God, very excited. Uh, for what God uh, was doing in their hearts and lives over this past week. And uh, I'm excited at the end of summer, we're going to be having another uh, end of summer testimony uh, Sunday where we're going to be sharing and they're going to get the opportunity to share about all the things that God was teaching them and the experiences that they had. So thank you for your commitment to praying for them, to uh, supporting them financially. And uh, I know that God is going to give an insane return uh, for what we have poured into them. And so I'm very excited to see what God is going to do in them. Last thing is, is you probably received a uh, uh, email from me this last week. Some of you read them, some of you don't, so I'm going to make sure y'all hear it. Uh, We are beginning tomorrow morning uh, the redo of the next second phase of this sanctuary, which we're very excited about. Here in this worship center, they're going to begin demolition of our stage and all of this beautiful mauve carpet. So... Yes. If you have ever wanted to adorn your home with a mauve carpet, come see me. I've got a deal for you. Okay. Um, Anybody here? Would you like the first square that we cut this morning? Anybody here? Here you go. There you go. Somebody grab that. Um, You can keep frame it. memento it. I never want to see it again. All right. So uh, they call this by the way, dusty rose was the name of the color. Very dusty rose. So, um, anyway, the reason I share this with you, very exciting that we're moving forward and God has provided financially for us to do so. As we have said all along in this project, we will not take on debt. We are not taking on debt. God has provided. We're thankful. And so we're going to begin uh, this second phase. There is still some resources that need to be raised for the third phase. Uh, We'll talk about that later. But the most important thing I want you to know is that what this means is we're going to be out of the worship center for about the next, eight weeks starting next Sunday. Uh, They're going to come in and try to do this whole bottom level at once. And so uh, we're going to be meeting for our services still at 9 a.m. and 1045 over in the gymnasium. Our team is actually working very hard to create a comfortable environment. We turned up the heat in here, by the way, today, just so you'd feel more comfortable next week. All right. Um, (laughs) I wish that were true. It is really hot up here. So um, be glad you don't have those lights. But uh, there are a couple things that it's gonna impact. So remember, next week we go to the gym for church, but uh, high school students that come during first service, we're gonna be storing a lot of these pews, most of them in the refinery as they pull up the carpet. And so you're gonna be meeting for the next, uh, basically for the summer in room 213 upstairs. Uh, We'll have some signs reminding you of that, but that is one impact during first service for our high school students. Secondly, uh, for those of you that have kids during second service where you drop them off in the refinery, you're now going to drop them off at their classrooms where you pick them up at the close of service. And so uh, they'll have a large group meeting space that they can still get together in, but drop-off will happen in their rooms. And so please keep that in mind. Other than that, classes and communities will continue to meet same time, same place. And uh, though it'll be a little bit of an inconvenience, I'm very excited to worship in a little environment. It is a very good reminder that the church is not a building. It is not a room. It is a people and we worship God wherever we are together. And so I hope that you will join us and uh, it'll be a great time of worshiping together. Now, let's jump into the message together. I'm going to cook through this uh, chapter with you this morning. Uh, We have been in a series entitled Who Do You Say I Am? Going through the Gospel of Mark. Last week, we wrapped up the first half of the book, and this week, we're moving into the second half with the theme Jesus, Servant, King. Uh, We're going to be beginning the second half of the book, and if you look at your notes, what we have reached is a significant turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, You'll see letter A in your notes that last week in chapter eight, Jesus's question on the way to Caesarea Philippi of who do you say I am that he asked of his disciples is the exact moment that Mark has been building towards in his gospel. You'll recall that from the very beginning of the gospel of Mark, that Mark begins with the declaration that that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. He starts in verse one saying, Jesus is the Messiah. Don't doubt it. Don't forget it. This is who he is. And then he spends the rest of his gospel proving what he says, walking us through the life of Jesus, even as the disciples come to that understanding in that same time span of who Jesus is. He slowly tells us the story of how the disciples come to learn this truth as they witness Jesus' power and his authority in this world. And last week in chapter 8, we came to the point, letter B, of Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Christ, not a last name, a marker. It is Jesus Christ, meaning the Messiah. He was the Christ, and he was correct. Peter's declaration that Jesus was the Christ was correct in name, but not in context. Content, In other words, as he looks at everything that Jesus has done, he goes, I get it. You are the Messiah. And that's correct. But we also understand that Peter and the disciples had an incorrect view of who the Messiah was in content. And so what's going to take place from this point in the book is that Jesus has now gotten them to the surface level understanding of who he is, but he's going to dive them even deeper. Let her see. We see that what will happen is Jesus will radically alter the decision of Messiah. From messianic triumphalism to suffering servant. They had this idea in their mind that the Messiah would be a military power, a ruler that would come, overthrow Rome, set up a time of peace for them on the earth so that they could enjoy life as they desired. What they couldn't understand, though, is that Jesus was coming as the suffering servant of the Old Testament, not as a military ruler, but one who would give his life so that we wouldn't be able to just live a good life here on this earth but so that we could be with God restored in a perfect relationship for eternity. And letter D, the second half of Mark will clearly teach us as it does the disciples that Jesus is a different type of king and it will teach us what it means to actually follow him. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter nine. We're going to begin here in verse two, just the very beginning of verse two. And what we see here as we read this is that Jesus and three of his disciples are going to take a little bit of a trip together, a little bit of a journey as they leave Caesarea Philippi. Mark chapter nine, verse two says this, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, letter A, Mark's clear depiction of six days. He says, after six days, Jesus did this. His clear depiction of six days purposefully ties this journey with the previous declaration and the misunderstanding of Jesus as the Messiah. Literally, the six days comment that he makes is a, shows that it is a continuation of what has just happened nowhere else in the Gospel of Mark do we see Mark do this where he uses a very specific and concrete time frame to give definition his intention is to show us that after having rebuked Peter for his opposition to what his ultimate mission was from God Jesus will now graciously continue to teach him and the disciples in a very vivid and urgent Shattering and life altering way about who he is. And it tells us as we read there that Jesus, not only what Jesus does, is he only takes his inner circle with him on this journey up the mountain. There are numerous times that we see in the New Testament where Jesus takes specifically Peter, James, and John, and they seem to have a very special relationship with Jesus. Almost as though it is the three that he is pouring into that likely have leadership and influence with the other disciples. And as they gain a, gain a deeper understanding, they also share and teach that with the other disciples. And what it tells us here is that they went with him on a journey. Up the mountain. Now, the mountain where the transfiguration that we're going to read about this morning takes place has traditionally been, uh, they believe that it was Mount Tabor. You'll see a picture up here on the screen. Uh, Mount Tabor is in the Jezreel Valley uh, in Israel. In the Old Testament, it's noteworthy because this is the place where Deborah told Barak to gather uh, an army to go and to fight against Israel's enemies. But it is also the traditional belief that this is the place where this transfiguration that we're going to read about, this journey that Jesus' disciples uh, go on, took place. Now, uh, while that is the traditional belief, a lot of that is because there was a guy uh, by the name of Bishop Cyril in the year 348, who uh, in Jerusalem said that because Jesus' activity seemed to be in this area, he said, this must be the mountain where it happened. Modern scholarship today, though, actually a lot of people believe that the place of the transfiguration took place on Mount Hermon, which is this next picture. You'll remember from last week that Mount Hermon... Was uh, basically the mountain at which Caesarea Philippi, where this whole conversation with Jesus' disciples about who do you say I am, took place, right here in the foothills of Mount Hermon. Many scholars believe that that they took this uh, little journey together up to uh, Mount Hermon. Part of the reason is because Caesarea Philippi sits in the foothills, but also because Mount Tabor isn't necessarily a high mountain. Uh, it's more like a little speed bump in the Jezreel Valley, as opposed to the heights of Mount Hermon. But here's the deal. Wherever this took place uh, really honestly does not matter. The point here is this though. What I do find interesting as we read about this is that the high mountains, uh, it says that they go up to this high mountain. High mountains, it seems in scripture, Old Testament and new, seem to be a place where God reveals himself to his people. We see this with Moses in the Old Testament where he uh, encounters in uh, in Horeb, uh, uh, there's a mountain and he he encounters uh, God in the burning bush. We see it at Mount Sinai when Moses receives the law that he goes up uh, Mount Sinai to receive the law and has this encounter. And it is no different here that what we read is that it is Peter, James, and John who go with Jesus up the high mountain. And they are going to have, as you see in your notes, they are given the most clear picture possible of who Jesus is and why it is that he has come. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 9, second part of verse 2. They have gone up the mountain and it says that he was transfigured before them, And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them uh, Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, for he did not know what to say, for they were terrified." What's interesting here as we read this letter A is that Jesus' transfiguration was a very clear revealing of Jesus' glory and of the glory of God. When we think about the word transfiguration or transfigure as we see in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word metamorpho. Uh, It's where we get our word metamorphosis, and it means a complete change of form, of structure or of substance, a profound change in form from one state to the next. Oftentimes, when we think of metamorphosis, we would think of something in our world and experience like a butterfly and the, the, the radical transformation that happens with a butterfly. Catch that image in your mind and let's watch this video together. Seems like the video is having issues. You get the picture, I'm guessing. When I was a kid, I can remember growing up in Southern California that we would have these caterpillars and they were always where I lived, these really dark, black, hairy little creatures that would walk along our porch of our house. And I can remember that each year we would sit, my sister and I would sit out there and watch them climbing up the side of the house to the windowsills, hanging themselves there and building themselves into a, a cocoon. And we would come out day after day, watching this process and seeing it take place and waiting for the moment that would hatch, oftentimes missing the grand finale as the, we would come out and see that the butterfly was gone. Uh, the transformation had occurred, but it just left was, was that cocoon. But there was the one time that we went outside and we actually saw this take place. And it was one of the most incredible things to behold, to see this complete transformation that would take place. It's the idea of metamorphosis, a complete transformation. We see this word that is used Only four places in the New Testament. It always refers to a radical transformation. In two places, that transformation is speaking of the life of believers that is transformed and brought about by salvation. But in the other two places, Mark being one of them, in our passage this morning, it describes the transfiguration of Jesus. The passage tells us that Jesus' clothes became radiant, intensely white, that as no one on earth could actually bleach them it was a radical transformation of his clothing luke describes his face becoming different uh, in his gospel and his clothing being white and gleaming and what we gain a picture and understanding of is what these three disciples witness is that they saw his glory The very glory of God in Jesus Christ. What Jesus does is he allows Peter, James, and John to see behind the curtain, to see his glory and his divinity. His nature didn't change, only his outward appearance. Jesus had always possessed essential glory as part of the divine Godhead for all of eternity, but he veiled it in human flesh until this moment. And the brilliant glory, as MacArthur once said, the brilliant glory of his divine nature blazed forth through the veil of his humanity. What Jesus does with his disciples is he clearly reveals to them his divinity so that they can have a deeper understanding of who he is. Can you imagine how incredibly incredibly transforming this moment must have been for Peter, James, and John? They've already seen his miracles. They've heard his incredible teaching. They've seen his power over nature and his power over the spiritual and physical realm. And because of those things, they have declared that he is the Messiah. But now they are given one incredible confirming view of his glory and divinity as the only begotten son from the father. There can be no doubt in their mind as to his identity as he was radically transformed, as Jesus was radically transformed, I cannot be mistaken that so must have been his disciples in that moment. And I want to ask you this question this morning. How often do we reflect on the glory of God and allow it to truly transform us? I think of the song that we sung just before the message this morning, It paints a picture for us of the words out of Isaiah chapter 6. You know, anywhere you look in scripture, when people encounter God's glory, it is a transforming moment for them, a holy moment. And Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God is incredible in Isaiah 6. I want you to close your eyes and try to envision what Isaiah is desperately searching for words to describe to us. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Get this vivid picture of Isaiah describing the very presence of God in his throne room. And what is his response to the glory and majesty of God? Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What is his response to the glory of God? It is reverence, and it is awe that brings people to their knees in worship. And I would say that it seems in our Christian culture today that we have at times lost the awe of God. We have been taught and embraced over and over again in our culture that he's your friend over and above the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not that he isn't approachable, that he doesn't love us incredibly like a father, and that we can't have a very intimate relationship with him but at times we have lost that understanding of who he truly is. And rather than allowing ourselves to be in awe of his majesty, we easily treat him as just another one of our friends who ah, he'll always be there along with the rest of them. Or we see him as some sort of genie in the bottle, but not the holy one who sits on his throne in heaven, who is worshiped by angels and the elders around his throne day and night who cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I really believe that if we would behold the glory and majesty of God more in our own personal lives, in our time of seeking God, in our prayer, and our worship, I can't help but think that it would radically alter the way that we live our lives every single day. I want you to remember what we've been reading in Mark and one of the themes that Mark pulls through his book is that what you believe about God, how you view God will absolutely impact how you worship him. If you see him as just the friend or the genie in a bottle, you will worship him as not that important, but if you see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords who has given everything of himself and his son so that you could be restored in a relationship with God and be in reverence and awe of him it will cause you to worship him differently do you see what Jesus is doing when he gives the disciples this picture into his glory he's literally building the foundation of their faith and what it means to follow him It's the reason as a church that we talk about, even in our five-year vision, that one of the most important things we do as a body of Christ is that we develop deep roots in Christ. That idea of developing deep roots is that idea of developing a foundation that is built upon the word of God and who he is, how he has revealed himself through his word, and how it is that we are to follow and to worship him. And what I see here in this passage is that we understand that not only is the disciples' understanding of Jesus' identity now going to be cemented in their minds as they see this interaction and see the majesty and glory of God, but they're also going to be given a very clear view. ...of his purpose that they have been wrestling with. Letter B, Jesus' appearance with Elijah and Moses actually serves a couple of clear purposes. We read, I mean, this must have been something for the disciples to behold. We're not told how the disciples knew that it was Elijah and Moses, right? Because they weren't alive back then. Maybe uh, Jesus told them or they were introduced. I don't know how that happened, but they understood who was there with Jesus... Some people have said that they believe Elijah and Moses showing up at the transfiguration. Is a physical manifestation of the law and the prophets. Remember that Moses was a prophet, uh, led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He is the one who received the law from God and delivered it to the people. You'll remember that Elijah uh, is uh, again also served as one of the many prophets of the Old Testament. There might be a chance that this served as a picture of Jesus being the fulfillment of the law and prophets, but Whether that is possible or not, there are actually two other things that I think are more clear and super important for us to understand. Number one is this, is that the conversation among these old friends, what we clearly see is that it concerned Jesus' coming death. Mark tells us that a conversation took place, but doesn't really define what that was for us. But when we look in the Gospel of Luke, they spoke about Jesus' departure and how it would be accomplished in Jerusalem. In other words, right there in front of the disciples, they're talking about Jesus going to death, being resurrected, and returning to the Father. And Jesus here in this moment is talking with these pillars of the Jewish faith. Can you imagine the power behind this moment for the disciples? And again, they hear Jesus here also talking about his coming death and resurrection. They're getting a full picture of the gospel message for the very first time. And on the one hand, this should help them to understand that there is something that is far bigger going on than they could have ever expected. The heroes of the faith have shown up. And it would confirm for them in their own minds, you would think that Jesus is going to die. So the conversation concerned Jesus' coming death. But number two, the appearance also clearly connects Jesus to the ushering in of the messianic age. For the disciples, there is no doubt as good, learned, studied Jewish men, they would have known the words of Malachi chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, that says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. You see, the appearance of Elijah and Moses likely would have recalled this passage and their prophetic roles as joint preparers for the final prophet who was to come, which was Jesus. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Here's Moses right in front of them. The one who performed signs and miracles to get the Israelites out of Egypt. The one who was there and parted the Red Sea that, uh, you know, hit the rock and water came out to provide. I mean, Moses is a pillar of their faith and understanding. Here's Elijah. The last time we heard about him, he was riding a, a fire chariot up to heaven, right? I mean, you have Elijah and Moses talking with Jesus who is radiating the glory of God. Can you imagine witnessing the scene? And then have you ever been in one of those really potent significant meaningful moments in life trying to soak something deep in and then someone says something that ruins the whole thing have you been around that Peter is that person I mean seriously can you imagine like just for a moment all of this is happening what does Peter do he looks and he says what it is good that we are here I mean Peter is that all you've got to say it's good that we are here You know, what I see in this letter C is this, is that as usual, Peter actually, I believe, unfairly gets another bad rap. He gets a bad rap. Why? Number one, Peter still doesn't quite get that Jesus must die. He says, you know, hey, it's good that we're here, you know, do you guys want me to set up some, uh, you know, tents for you that you guys can all dwell in, right? He offers to make these tabernacles, and it's clear that what Peter still believes that this is the moment, right? He's got to be recalling uh, Malachi chapter 4 and thinking to himself, okay, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, this is the moment. It's all going to happen. It's everything that we've been waiting for and longing for. And so he offers to set up these tents or these tabernacles. And Jesus and the boys, in his mind, are sticking around, about to bring down the house on rome who is about to get a whooping but as a good jew he believed this because peter held on to the hope that god as it was prophesied about in the old testament would one day again tabernacle with his people but here's the deal we give him a bad rap for not understanding but you know what i love about this passage is what i actually see number two is that peter displays a very clear hunger to see the kingdom come oh his heart longs for the messiah to be here he longs for the time when God will set all things right. He eagerly desires and waits for the moment so much that he still lacks understanding as he gets ahead of himself and he doesn't really understand what must take place and why. want I ask you this morning, as God's people, are we living each day hungering to see his kingdom come? Are we hungering day in and day out For this same thing, to see the kingdom of God come. My fear is that at times we are so wrapped up in the material things of this world that we long more for its riches, for its pleasures, for its fame, than we do for God's kingdom. How do I know this to be true? From my own experience? From my own personal life? But also from asking the question, how often do we treat the things of God as add-ons to our busy life, rather than a priority. I wanna ask you, do you spend more time investing in worldly pleasures than you do seeking God? Or knowing God, loving God? Or as a product of your love for God, loving others? Do You spend more time investing in worldly pleasures than you do in worshiping him? and serving him, or serving others, or sharing the good news of his son with other people. Do you want to know if you hunger for the kingdom of God to come? Then ask yourself the question, where am I investing my greatest time and energy? It's a sobering question for all of us to answer, pastor included. Where do I invest my time and my energy And what does that reveal about my hunger to see the kingdom of God come? I love Peter's heart and his passion and his desire. Yet even in the midst of his misunderstanding, God so graciously speaks. And in Mark chapter nine, verse seven, it says this, that a cloud overshadowed them, as it had in many other instances where God shows up on the mountain. And a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. Where does that draw your mind back to? His baptism. When God speaks and says the same thing, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. What does God say when he speaks? He says, letter A, don't just hear, my son, listen. There is a difference between hearing and listening. And if you're married in this room, you know this very well. To avoid arguments at home later today, I'm going to use a different example, okay? But I can remember a time when I was a young boy that I would, you know, come home from school and all I would wanna do is sit on the couch and watch TV and just kind of veg out for a while. And I felt like that was fair. I had been working hard all day at school, suffering under the hand of my instructors. And my mom would inevitably come and she would say, Rob, you need to get up, you need to go clean your room because my room was always a pigsty. And oftentimes like many kids, and I think the Lord at times is paying me back for what I used to do to my mom. uh, I just sat there and I didn't listen. And she would come back and forth through the room over, over, you know, an hour or so. And she would keep saying, you need to get up. You need to go clean your room. And I remember one time as she came in and she was upset with me, I looked at her and my response is, I hear you. And she looked back at me and said, I didn't ask you to hear me. I told you to listen. Listening is so much more than hearing words and being able to repeat them. Listening implies hearing, receiving understanding and responding to something that is said what god says to the disciples and catch it because i believe he says it to us is don't just hear listen listen carefully listen intently let her be to my son in the disciples context These words from God was a call to follow Jesus. Not just a call to hear, but to respond to what was said. To follow Jesus meant hearing what he said, but also receiving it and changing literally their understanding. Not just of who Jesus was, but what life was about. And as Jesus leads them to understand who he is, he will radically alter what their lives are essentially about. As they understand that he has not come just to save Israel from Rome, but to save his creation, Jew and Gentile alike from their sin and separation from God, the whole foundation and purpose of their lives will be radically altered and changed, transformed, metamorphosis. And in the same way, He wants to radically alter our lives. Let us see. We need to hear these words too. And I would say to you this morning that if you do not know Christ, my prayer for you is that if you have been here with us as we go through the book of Mark, if you continue to join us over the weeks to come, is that God would continually be revealing more and more and more of himself to you. And that as you learn more about who he is and what he has done for you, that you would come to the place of making a decision. Because you see, when God says, listen to my son, it brings us to a crossroads of a decision. Will I listen or not? Will I follow or not? And the greatest question that you will ever answer for yourself in this life is whether you will choose to follow Christ. It has eternal implications for your life. And my prayer is that you would choose and that God would draw your heart to that place of surrender of your heart and life to him because what you recognize is that everything this world offers you fails you constantly. The pleasure it says it'll provide never does what it says it's going to do. But only Christ can offer you eternal life and a perfect relationship with God Where every need and every desire will be met. Where all sin, all evil, all hurt, all heartbreak, all sickness will be wiped away forever. But not only if you don't know Christ, you need to hear these words. But if you've already given your life to Christ, you need to hear them as well. We live in a generation today that has distorted what it actually means to follow Jesus. You can believe and yet not alter how you live. You can be in but not live your life for jesus you can follow without ever slowing down to listen you can chart your own course without seeking god for his direction that is what modern christianity sadly has become but jesus wants to transform our understanding of what it means to follow him and God's call to listen to his son means more than just hearing and believing and then going through the motions. It implies allowing him to transform every aspect of our hearts and our lives so that we aren't living for ourselves, but living our lives to honor him and as a product of that, hungering for his kingdom to come. And that hunger draws us in to participate in the work of bringing his kingdom to completion. And this is my prayer for us as we continue together through the book of Mark. We've gotten the surface picture that Jesus is the Messiah, and we are going to be dove deep into understanding Jesus, the servant King the one who came to give his life completely. We will see the fullness of his divinity, the fullness of his plan of salvation begin to unfold. And as we begin to behold his glory in our own hearts, and our own lives, if we would make that choice to behold his glory, I believe that he will radically transform the way that we follow him to his glory and honor. Pray with me. God, thank you again for this study in your word Thank you, Lord, for how Mark has so clearly helped us to see and to understand who you are, to come to the understanding that not only are you the Messiah, but you, you yourself are God, that you came into this world for us, your sinful, broken creation that rejected you, and you came to give your life to pay the price for our sin, to suffer an intolerable death on a cross, the worst that our world could possibly offer, a punishment that we deserved, you took. And as a process, you extend to us your grace and invite us back again into relationship with you. If we would believe in you, put our faith in you, and surrender our hearts to you, And God, I pray that what you would do here today as we continue to study this passage is a radical transformation of our hearts. That while our world has at times given us a skewed and distorted picture of what it means to follow, that Lord, you would correct it as we read your word. That we would again behold your glory and your majesty and it would change the way that not only we see you, but the way that we worship you every single day and that we long for your kingdom to come. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: in the morning when i rise in the morning when i
4: good. Amen. Amen. And it's good to worship him. If you have any prayer needs uh, today that you would like prayer for, our team uh, is here this morning, would love the opportunity to pray with you. And so I would just invite you to come forward at the close of our service. You can pray here or over in our uh, prayer room together. Ed uh, And Kathy would love that opportunity to pray with you today. So uh, please be sure to do that. Uh, just a couple closing things before we go. One, uh, just remind reminder, our new people party is taking place over in the refinery. If you'd like to join us and haven't signed up, it's okay, come join us. Uh, secondly, Uh, We are going to need some help. If there are a few hands in the room after the close of the service that can help, this entire platform has to be cleared out of here before tomorrow morning. And uh, our worship team is going to be working on that. But if you've got a few minutes to spare, they would love a few extra helping hands to make it go quicker. With that being said, uh, church, what a great word from the Lord that we received this morning. And my hope is that as you go out into Everything that you do in this week as you exit out these doors is that you would really go back to that place of beholding the glory of God daily in your life. Remembering really who he is and allowing that to shape and to transform how you worship him. Not just when you're in this room, but in everything that you do, every decision that you make outside of these walls. And so worship him with all of your heart this week. And I pray that because of that, that he will create within you a hunger for his kingdom that would be infectious and that you would be passionate about going and sharing the good news of his son with other people. God bless you. Have a great week as you go out and serve the Lord. We'll see you next Sunday in the gymnasium.